Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're holding the middle of chapter 37, page 507. Just to recap briefly what we learned last week, in the last few chapters, starting in chapter 35, he started to explain that all of the mitzvot engage the body, the physical, the material, the emphasis is on the material. And even those mitzvot that are, seem to be more spiritual, like studying Torah, but even the mitzvah studying Torah engages the physical. Because the mitzvah is to speak the words of Torah, to physically speak and articulate the words of Torah. If Torah is all about understanding, why is it important to actually physically speak the words of Torah? It's enough that you think it. But you see that the emphasis in all of the mitzvot, even the more spiritual mitzvot, the emphasis is on the physical. Why is that? Because God desired for himself, he wanted a dwelling place in this physical, material world. The purpose of creation is not the spiritual realm, spirituality, but it's actually the material world. Because the spiritual realms are nothing new. It's just a revelation. It's a revelation of something that was once hidden and now it's revealed. But that's actually you're not creating anything new, it's actually stepping down. It's a downgrade. Spirituality, revelation, is actually a downgrade. It's only in this material, physical, coarse world, which is the antithesis of godliness and holiness, that we accomplish something new, something unexpected. To take something coarse, materialistic, and to transform it into something holy, into something divine, something godly, that's a novelty. Just like the creation of this world itself is a novelty. The creation of the higher realms, the spiritual realms, is just a revelation. It's not such a great novelty. Where do you see the ultimate creativity of God? The ultimate novelty is this physical material world. That God can create a world that denies that it even has an original cause. It denies that it even has a creator. It denies that it has a source. Here I am, egotistical. I am because I am, I need no rhyme, no reason, no justification. And it feels so natural. It feels so self-evident. I am the center of the universe. It feels so comfortable. Even though it's completely illogical and completely irrational. And completely meaningless. You think about it. I mean, who, who even remembers? I mean, people live and then they die. And who remembers them? Their loved one remembers them. And then... Those who love them also die. And who remembers them? They become reduced to that you are the center of the whole universe. And to go through life without even thinking that there's a reason. There's a reason I'm here. What's my purpose? Why am I here? What's it all about? Is it just a passing? We're just passing through and it's utterly meaningless and signifying nothing? Or does this world have meaning and significance? Life has meaning and significance. So were we to be irrational and sane about it, then of course you would realize that there has to be a meaning, a purpose. 
But yet, the ego position feels so, so natural. I don't need a meaning. I don't need a purpose. I am here and that's it. I don't need any justification. My purpose in life is self-gratification, living in the moment, enjoying myself. It doesn't matter. And yet that position is so illogical, so irrational, yet it feels so natural, it feels so comfortable. This is a novelty to create a world which is so severed, so disconnected, so out of touch. It's it's almost ridiculous and absurdity. And yet, it should feel so natural. Only God has the power to create this type of world. This coarse, dense, materialistic, egotistical world that we live in. That we call our own. And that feels so natural. And what's the purpose of this novelty, of this creativity? Which God himself revealed his essence to create this type of world. Because only God has the ability to create a world that denies that it even has a cause, a rhyme, or a reason, or a meaning. It doesn't even have to seek for a meaning. It doesn't even have to search out for a meaning. And people go, th- go through life with a completely nihilistic approach that it's all meaningless and, and just live for the moment and enjoy life because nothing really matters. Who cares? Why did God create such a novel type of world? Because he wanted us to also create a novelty. When we take this coarse materialistic material that we're working with, and we do a mitzvah with it, and we take the human body, the physical body, the ego, the energy, what gives you energy to move your hand to do a mitzvah, the energy you get from eating food, from human consumption, from taking care of your your personal needs, of survival, and you take this energy and you do a mitzvah with it. You do something divine. You do something godly. You're creating something novel. You're taking material that no one would suspect that it's even a vessel, a vehicle to become something divine and godly. And yet you are transforming. By doing the mitzvah, you are transforming this very material and transforming it into something divine. It becomes a sacred object, a holy object, not just a symbol. The object itself, the Torah scroll, the leather hide of the animal actually becomes godly and holy. So this is something novel. And this is the whole purpose of creation. And that's the only purpose why the soul descends into this world. It cannot be that the soul descended into this world to discover spirituality. Because it's a, it's a downgrade. Even the perfect soul, the perfect tzaddik, who reaches the highest level of ecstasy, divine ecstasy, and a love, and a connection, and a consciousness of godliness, the highest levels of consciousness. It's a pale comparison. It's almost a caricature of the way the soul was before the soul entered into this human form, into the physical, material body. So, So it's a downgrade. The highest level we can accomplish, the highest, most intense, the deepest the most intense level of spirituality we can accomplish is nothing in comparison to the way the soul was before it entered into this world. So that can't be the purpose. That can't be the purpose of why we were born into this life, into this world. So the soul descends into this world. The purpose is because to fulfill the ultimate purpose of creation, which is to engage in the material and the physical, engaging all 248 limbs of your body in the 248 mitzvah. And by engaging your entire being, your entire body, and not only your body, but also your sphere of influence, because every Jew has a portion of this world that they are responsible for. And by engaging your portion of the world, 
the business you interact with, the people you interact with, everything you interact with and you come in contact by utilizing that and using that to serve Hashem, to connect with Hashem, you are in essence taking a portion of this world and transforming it into a dwelling place for godliness, transforming it into something godly, sacred, holy, wholesome. And this is a novelty. And that's the whole purpose of creation. So even those mitzvahs which are spiritual, like Torah, which engages the mind, it's not enough to study Torah silently. The mitzvah is to physically speak the words of Torah. Because you must engage your body. If you don't engage your body, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. Because the purpose of studying Torah, if the whole purpose was just to engage the mind, to touch your soul, why do you have to speak the words of Torah? Why do you have to speak the words of prayer? You walk into a Jewish synagogue, you'll see something you don't see anywhere else. All houses of prayer are shush, silent, meditative states. People are tranquil, quiet. You walk into a shul, it's like, it's like a market. Everyone is talking to themselves. Everyone is mouthing the words of prayer. It's so unnatural if you think about it. It's uniquely Jewish. Here, I'm praying to God. I'm meditating. Higher, I'm achieving higher levels of consciousness. Why the, why the importance of moving my lips? And physically saying the words of prayer. And yet if you don't say the words of prayer, you haven't prayed. Because that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose of why the soul descended into this world, the whole purpose of creation, is in order for us to make a dwelling place for God in the lowest, in the physical, in the material, in the course. And that you only do by engaging the action. So even when you study Torah, what is the action of studying Torah? Studying Torah is, is... engages your mind, but it engages the moving of your lips. So that's the action of studying Torah. So everything has to be connected to the action of studying. And he said the ultimate, that's why the ultimate mitzvah is the mitzvah of tzedakah. Because money is the ultimate ego symbol. The person is able to give away his hard-earned money or money that he can, he can, he can acquire something to save his life with that money. Take that money, which is the ultimate ego symbol, and give it away to tzedakah, give it away to charity, to tzedakah. That's the ultimate mitzvah, because that epitomizes what the, what the essence of all mitzvah is all about. Then he asked the question, if that's the case, this is all true, that the whole emphasis is on Torah, is on mitzvahs, on the physical, the material, and even with Torah, it's important to engage, actively engage in Torah by moving your lips then why does the Torah say that Torah is the equivalent of all the mitzvot put together? How can you say that Torah, the studying of Torah, is the equivalent of all of the mitzvot? When the whole purpose of creation is for the mitzvot, not for the Torah. In other words, it's not enough to study Torah, although when a Jew studies Torah, you also draw down the divine in your life. But it only draws down the divine to your soul. And even when you speak the words of Torah, it only draws down the divine presence to your lips. You can't compare to action. When you engage your 248 limbs, your hands and your legs, and you actually do the mitzvah, and take the physical object and do the mitzvah, that's the ultimate purpose of creation. You're taking something coarse and dense and materialistic, and you're transforming it into something divine and godly. So how can we say that the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the mitzvahs put together? when the whole point is the mitzvah. And he explained, because it's not just the idea of studying Torah because you draw down God's presence. When you study Torah, you draw down God's presence to your soul. No, that wouldn't explain why the Torah is the, studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the other mitzvahs. 
because we just finished explaining that the whole purpose of creation is to engage the animal soul, the ego, the material, the physical, not just your spiritual, your divine soul. And the answer is, because when you study Torah, you also affect your ego in a very deep way. When you do the mitzvah, it only affects your actions, which is very external to you. When you act, it's very external to the person. When you study Torah, however, it engages your power of speech and your power of thought, which is much more intimate with you. It's much closer to you. So you're engaging your animal soul's power of speech and power of thought. So your holiness is penetrating into a much deeper level. You're engaging, you're transforming your animal soul, not only the action of your animal soul, but even the speech and thought of your animal soul are also being engaged and, and transformed into holiness. One explanation. Another explanation, deeper aspect of that is that when you do a mitzvah and you're engaging your animal soul, your ego, your natural soul, but it only, it doesn't really transform you. It doesn't transform your animal soul. You can behave a certain way, and yet it doesn't affect you. It doesn't transform you. When you study, however, when it engages your mind, your mind, it changes your mind. Once you understand something, once you have a crystal clear understanding of something, it changes your mind. You'll never look at it the same. You'll never, under, you'll never see it the same way. You'll see it in a different way. So once your mind digests and internalizes and you understand the Torah, you understand God's point of view, and you start understanding um, a godly perspective, you'll never be the same again. Your mind will never be the same again because it has become part of it. So your mind becomes holy. So your animal, your ego mind, your rational mind, your human mind, your natural soul's mind becomes transformed into holiness which you cannot accomplish through doing the mitzvot. You can do all the mitzvot, all 248 mitzvot, and yet it will not change your emotions. It won't change your personality, your character. It changes your behavior. But it doesn't really change you in a deep way. But when you, when you study Torah, it changes your mind. It changes you in a very deep way. That's the advantage of studying Torah because it draws down God's energy, not only presence, not only to your godly soul, but even to your animal soul, to, to your intellectual capacity, your natural soul's intellectual capacity is transformed by studying Torah. But he said the ultimate explanation is that when a Jew studies Torah, the unity that you achieve, the godliness that you draw down, not only to your godly soul, but even to your natural soul, your ego soul, is on a much higher level, is much deeper, much more profound than the divine presence that you draw down through doing a mitzvah. Why is that? Because you know, it's like the fear of God. When we talk about the fear of God, there are different levels of the fear of God. You know, we, just, we learned this earlier in chapter 24. There are different levels of the fear of God. There's one level when a person acknowledges that God is my soul. I am the body and God is the soul. Could you imagine the body not obeying the soul? 
you want to move your arm. And your body gives you an argument. No, I don't want to move my arm. What do you call that? A very sick person. Either, God forbid, a stroke patient or a very sick person. The mind, the soul wants to do something and the body doesn't respond. When a person forgets that God is the soul and God is in control, that's why, as he explained in chapter 24, it doesn't matter which mitzvah, any of the 365 don'ts. If a person violates any of the 365 don'ts, it's the equivalent of idolatry. It's the same idea. Because it's not a question if it's a major mitzvah, a minor mitzvah. It's really the question is, do you acknowledge that God is my soul? If God is my soul, God is in control. God is in charge. How can I go against God? How can I rebel? It's like the mind telling me to do one thing, and I argue back. I don't want to do it. There's something very sick. Of course, the difference is that the body doesn't have an evil inclination. (laughs) So it's very easy for the body to obey the soul. It's no big deal for the body to obey the soul. The truth is we are like a body to, and God is like our soul, but we don't feel it. We have, an, we have an ego. We have an evil inclination that tells us that argues and fights and resists temptations. But the truth is, in reality, there is no difference. The truth is that God is our soul and we are the body. So how can you rebel against God? It makes no sense. It's, it's, it's irrational. How can the body go against God? God wants you to do this. or doesn't want you to do this. I go ahead cold-bloodedly and I do it anyway. How could you? So that's on a very superficial level. That's the lowest level of fear. Yirashamayim, that you're afraid. You're basically, you're afraid of punishment or you're afraid to deny God. You're afraid God is the all-powerful. God is the soul. God is in control. God is in charge. How can I go against God? I can't. I don't have the guts. I don't have the chutzpah to go against my soul. It's very simple. So whether I like it or not, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do the right thing. That's the basic elementary level of, when we talk about fear of God, to be a God-fearing Jew. But then there's a much deeper level of the fear of God. Because the analogy of the body and the soul, yes, we are like a body to God, and God is like our soul. In a healthy body-soul relationship, it's not only that the body obeys the soul. The soul commands us to do something, and the body thinks about it, and the body decides, you know, I'm going to listen to the soul. That's not how it works. A healthy body is completely unselfconscious. A healthy body doesn't even sense its presence. A living person, a healthy person is very light. A corpse is very heavy. A living person is light because the body becomes part of the soul. It becomes indistinguishable from the soul. The body comes alive. The body becomes an extension of the soul. The body is not like a suit that you put on and you take off. If you wear a suit, someone cuts the suit, it doesn't hurt you. You don't scream, ouch. But when someone cuts your body, your soul is in pain. Because the body has become part of the soul. Inseparable from the soul. The body is alive. It's not a machine. The body becomes part of life. It comes alive. Miraculously, the body becomes so connected with the soul that the body becomes part of the soul, inseparable from the soul. That the body becomes a feeling being. And the body-soul connection, the body-mind connection, each one interacts with the other and each one affects the other. So the deeper level of the fear of God is that you become like a body of the soul, that there's no ego, there's no sense of I, there's no sense of self. There is no personal agenda. It's not that I have a personal agenda, but I'm going to obey God. I'm religious and I'm going to obey God. Because I know 
God is the power, and without the soul, the body doesn't lift a pinky. Without God, there's, there's nothing. Nothing happens in this world without God. So, of course, I'm going to obey God. If I want to be successful in my life, I want health, I want success, whatever I want in my life, I better, I better obey and be a good person. And then God will give me what I want. But that's not a healthy body-soul relationship. The healthy body-soul relationship is the body has no agendas. The body is completely unself-conscious. You don't even feel yourself. It's automatic. The soul wants to move, the body moves. So that's the higher level of fear. When you, when you feel God's presence, that you completely become egoless. You don't sense yourself. You just you become so plugged in, so connected with God, that you're just an expression of God. Automatically, God wants you to do, of course, that's my whole being. My whole life is nothing other than my soul. My whole existence, 24-7, is nothing other than godliness. That's what I live for. That's what I'm all about. There's nothing else. That's the higher level of fear. But then there's even a higher level. Because even in this analogy, that we are the body and God is the soul, there's still two separate entities. There's the body and there's the soul. The soul existed before the body was born, and the soul continues to exist after the body dies and disintegrates. So the truth is, from God's point of view, we're not even like a body to God, and God is our soul. Because the truth is, there was no other reality but God. All there is is God. There is nothing else. What expresses that truth? Not mitzvah, but Torah. Torah, mitzvot express the truth. The mitzvot are compared to the 248 mitzvot because there are 248 limbs in the body. So the mitzvot express the idea that we become a limb to God. We become a body to God. We become connected to God. We become inseparable with God. But still there's a separation. That is, we become a vehicle, a tool through which God implements the soul, wants to move, it moves through, through the arm. The arm becomes an extension of the soul, an implement of God's will. So we become an implement of God's will. God wanted us to do a mitzvah, and through our arms and through the physical object, we do the mitzvah, we fulfill God's will. So we become a vehicle, a chariot, a tool, an implementation of God's will. So we become one, an organ to God's, and God is the soul, and we are the organ, we are his organ, we are his body. But in Torah, it's much deeper than that. In Torah, Torah is the way God is for Himself. There's, no, there's, there's nothing else. All there is is God. And God is thinking. And He's conceiving. And He's conceiving. And He's thinking. He's like entertaining Himself. There is nothing else. There isn't even a body to God. All there is is God. Because the Torah is God's blueprint, God's vision. And everything that exists is, is merely here just to express God's vision of reality. That's all. There is nothing else. When a Jew studies Torah, you participate in that reality. You are participating in God's thinking the way God is thinking for Himself. In God's reality the way God is for Himself. From God's perspective. From the inside out. From God's perspective there is nothing else. So you completely nullify. So the level of light, the level of God's shechina, of God's presence that you draw down when you study Torah it's so much deeper, it's so much more profound than the level of light that you draw down when you do a mitzvah. So when you, by studying Torah, when you connect your, your ego, your natural soul, with God through studying Torah, you're drawing down a much deeper light, a much deeper connection to God than anything you can possibly accomplish through mitzvah. 
It's a much deeper unity because there is nothing else. It's not like two things that become one. But all there is is God. And that truth and that reality, that presence of God, that reality of God, becomes, becomes you become one with that truth. And not only your godly soul becomes one with the truth, your natural soul, your ego, your mind, becomes one with that truth. You become part of God's absolute unity, God, God's absolute truth. And that's the highest level, the highest form of the fear of God. When you become so nullified before God that not only are you a body to God's soul, but there is nothing else but God. And that you only accomplish through studying Torah. So that's why the, the Torah says that the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the other mitzvahs. Okay, but now we're going to learn, but nevertheless, and then we're back to the, the, other, then the other side of the question. So how can we say that the action is what matters most? Judaism emphasizes the deed, the action, the mitzvah. We just finished explaining that the Torah study is superior and the equivalent of all the other 248 mitzvahs put together. So how can we say, on the other hand, that the action is what counts most? It's not enough to study Torah. It's not enough to even study Torah moving your lips. It's not enough to study Torah using your logical mind your natural soul's ability to think and to comprehend. But you must do the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah. 248 mitzvah. Positive. Positive. And, you know, and also the prohibitions, right? So how can you say, so much so is he's going to say that which one supersedes which? The mitzvah, the deed, supersedes a Torah. Torah itself says that if you have a choice, if you have a mitzvah, and you have Torah, you have to close the book, Stop learning and go out. If there's a wedding, if there's a simchas chasm makala, and you're the only one who can you know, fulfill that mitzvah, you have to close the books and go. Which I might as well mention, I'm going to leave a little early today because I have a wedding I have to go to. You worked, you worked that whole thing into that. I don't want you to be upset. <laughs> so how can, we, how can we say that the Torah, super, that the mitzvah supersedes even the studying of Torah? How do we understand that? Okay, Kalman, on page 507, the second column. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, notwithstanding the superior level of the unity of Hashem, attained only by Torah, our sages have said, the essential thing is not study, but deed. It is also written this day, during our life in this world, the all-important thing is to do them, the mitzvah. And the halakha rules that one must interrupt Torah study to perform a mitzvah of action when it cannot be fulfilled by others. For this, the active performance of a mitzvah is man's entire purpose, the purpose for which he was created and for which his soul descended to this world, so that Hashem may have an abode precisely in the lowest realms, to turn the darkness of this world into light of holiness, so that Hashem's glory fills specifically the entire physical world, and all flesh will behold godliness together as we discussed above in chapter 36. Thus the goal of making this world an abode for Hashem is achieved primarily through mitzvah of action. Therefore, when presented the opportunity of performing a mitzvah that others cannot fulfill, 
must fulfill this mitzvah even at the cost of interrupting his Torah studies, so, so that Hashem's desire for an abode in the lower realms be realized. If, however, the mitzvah that clashes with one's Torah study can be fulfilled by others, the choice is no longer between respecting or ignoring Hashem's desire for an abode. Whether he suspends his Torah study to perform the mitzvah or continues his studies and leaves the mitzvah to others, this objective will be realized regardless. The choice is now between studying Torah and actively performing a mitzvah, and here Torah study prevails because of the superior level of the unity that it affects between Torah students' soul and Hashem. In the Alter Rebbe's words, on the other hand, if the mitzvah can be performed by others, one does not interrupt Torah study to perform it, even though the whole Torah is, after all, only an explanation of the mitzvah of action. This is because the Torah is the level of Kabbad of the blessed Ein Sof, and hence, when one is engaged in studying it, he draws upon himself an infinitely greater illumination of the blessed Ein Sof light greater both in its illuminative power and one that draws upon his soul through mitzvah, which are merely organs of the king. In Judaism, we have um, these two emphases, which seems to be contradictory or paradoxical. On one hand, we say that there's nothing like studying Torah. Torah is primary. The studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the mitzvah put together. And that has been true in our history. We've always focused on studying Torah. That has been a major emphasis. We live for Torah. We feel like a fish in water. When we don't study Torah, we feel like a fish out of water. Torah is our life. On the other hand, Judaism, unlike all other religions, emphasizes the action, the deed. It's the action that counts most. Even in studying Torah, it's not enough to study Torah. Cerebrally, you have to physically move your lips when you study all the mitzvot must engage the, um, the physical. And if you have a choice between studying Torah or doing a mitzvah, if it's a mitzvah that no one else can do, you're irreplaceable, you're indispensable, and you have to do the mitzvah. Close the book and do the mitzvah, because that's most important. And that's why the positive mitzvah pushes off even the negative prohibition, as severe as it is, because the purpose of creation is to do, to act. That's the whole purpose of creation, to act, to do. And it's only if you have a choice, if someone else can do the mitzvah for you. If you won't do the mitzvah, the mitzvah will still get done. Then we say, let someone else do the mitzvah, and you continue to study Torah. Because there's nothing greater than studying Torah. Like you just finished explaining. Because when you study Torah, the connection, that your soul becomes united, not only your divine soul, your godly soul, even your natural soul, your intellect, your mind, your ego, your whole your rational mind, your whole being becomes connected with God in such a deep, intimate way, like no, nothing that any mitzvah could possibly accomplish. So if you have a choice, if the mitzvah could get done, because the purpose is to make a dwelling place for God in this physical world. But if the mitzvah can get done by someone else, so the deed is done, God's dwelling place will be done. So then take your time and energy to study Torah in order to connect your soul in the deepest possible connection. So it seems to be like a paradox. What is the emphasis? Is the emphasis on the internal or external? Is it subjective or objective? Extrovert, introvert. Yet the Torah seems to be emphasizing both at the same time, to an extreme. 
Torah, there's nothing like Torah. On the other hand, there's nothing like a mitzvah. The ultimate purpose is the mitzvah. But as we're going to learn, especially in the coming chapters, that it may appear to be a paradox, but the truth is for the Jew, there is no paradox. God reconciles paradoxes. Jewish life is one big paradox. Because the truth is that they really come from the same place, the same idea. Because when a person, when a person cares, the whole essence of Judaism is when you're so connected with God, you're so, you're so inseparable, you're so one with God, that you care. You take it personally. It's like a marriage between the Jew and God. And when you care, it can't remain intellectual. You roll up your sleeve and you do something about it. You become active. When you really care, when it really touches your essence, then you have to act. Could you imagine telling your spouse, I love you, but there's no ring, <laughs> there's nothing physical? It doesn't work. If you care, you act. If you truly care, if something touches you to your very core, your very essence, you can't compartmentalize it. It can't remain intellectual, cerebral, abstract. It has to express itself physically. It turns you into an activist. If you care, you don't wait passively to something to, ha to happen. You don't wait to be commanded. You go and you do something. You roll up your sleeve and you do something. And every part of you becomes engaged. Completely engaged. Not only spiritually, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, but most important, physically engaged. So the mitzvah and the Torah come from the same place. If you're so connected to the divine, you're so connected to Hashem, that your essence becomes one with the essence of Hashem, there is no other reality but God, then you become an activist. It has to express an action. So if it doesn't express itself in action, that means something is lacking in your Torah. So it's not that you're sacrificing your Torah in order to do the mitzvah. That's what the Torah demands of you. The Torah demands of you that the action is what's important. The Torah itself tells you Action is what's important. Close the book and go ahead and do. Because if the Torah makes you so close with Hashem, and so intimate with Hashem, and you become, all there is is Hashem, then it becomes like you're married to God, and you're married to God. You care with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. How could you not act? How could you not go out and do something? So the action is a direct expression of your closeness and your intimacy to Hashem. So the action is what matters because the action is how you actually make the dwelling place for Hashem. The action is how you reveal the essence of Hashem into this world and you fulfill the whole purpose of creation. Because only when you act, if you don't act, that means you haven't really touched your essence and you're not touching the essence of Hashem. So action is what matters. And action is, is the main thing. The main thing is the action. It's not about talking. It's not about learning. It's about the action. Carrying the learning into action. Taking the learning and translating it into action. If what you learn stays here and it remains an abstraction and it doesn't change you, 
It doesn't affect you. It doesn't, it doesn't change your behavior. It doesn't change who you are and how you act and how you behave. Then the Torah itself tells you that's not Torah. Because if it's really Torah, it has to reach all the way to the action. Change your action. So the action is what matters most. But if the action is going to get done anyway, with or without you, then you might as well study Torah. Don't, don't interrupt the learning for the action, because the action will get done. The purpose will be fulfilled. And then, any moment, any free moment that you have to study Torah, to achieve this level of unity, where you become so one with God, you become so intimate with God, because the motivation to do the mitzvah is because you're married to God. If you're married to God, you want to be intimate with God every moment, every possible moment. And there's no way you can become intimate with God like through studying Torah. So if the deed will get done with or without you, let someone else do the deed. And you spend every free moment that you have, all of your energies should be poured into studying Torah. Because then you can really become intimate and one with God. So for a Jew, one feeds the other. The more a Jew studies Torah, the more action you take. The more action you take, the more you want to study Torah. It's not only not a contradiction, but each one fuels the other and feeds the other. It was like there was a great chassid, it was considered one of the greatest Chabad chassidim ever. His name was Rabbi Hillel Parik. And the more chassidus he would study, the more careful he would be about the mitzvah. He would take upon himself, um, he would beautify the mitzvah. He would do things way beyond the call of duty. The more he studied, the more he was careful about his Judaism. The more he was careful about his Judaism, the more he understood in his, in his studying, the more he was able to appreciate his study. So one led the other. He said, the reason I'm, do, I'm studying more Torah is in order that I should be more careful in my behavior. The reason I'm more careful in my behavior is that in order that I should be able to understand more Torah. And one kept on feeding the other. He just kept on going deeper and deeper and more and more. His life became more active. And his understanding and his depth also became deeper. And it was just a never-ending cycle. One just fed the other. That's how the Jew lived. That's how we've lived for 30, 3,300 years. The more Torah we study, we can't get enough of Torah. And the deeper we go to Torah, the more it leads us to action. And the more action we do, the more it leads us back to Torah. So if you have the opportunity, if someone else can do the mitzvah for you, and the deed will get done without you, then every precious moment that you have, every mountain, bit of energy you should have, you should pour into the studying of Torah. So you're right, and you're right, and you're both right, and it's both true. There's nothing like Torah study. It's the equivalent of everything else. On the other hand, the main thing is the action, not the learning, but the main thing is the action. As the Jewish people said when they received the Torah, what did they say first? We will do, and then we will listen. First we will do, and then we'll, then we'll learn. <laughs> first you shoot, and then you uh, ask questions later. Okay. This is what Rav Sheshet Menten said. Rejoice my soul, for you do I study scripture, for you do I study Mishnah. For the soul, the unity with Hashem attained through Torah, scripture, and Mishnah is greater than that attained through Mitzvah. He therefore addressed these words to it. For your sake, I learn. 
as the superiority of the soul's unity with Hashem through Torah is explained elsewhere at length. That's why he says, My soul should rejoice, rejoice because the Torah mostly affects the soul, not so much the body. It mostly affects the soul. He says, because of you, because I want your, my soul to become intimate with Hashem, and not only my divine soul, but my natural soul, my ego soul, I want my soul to become intimate with Hashem in the closest intimacy possible. That's why I'm studying Torah. That's what's accomplished through studying Torah, through reading the verse, through reading the oral, the written Torah, and by studying the oral Torah, by studying any portion of the Torah, the soul becomes intimate with Hashem. But of course, since the whole purpose of creation is to take the physical and the material and to transform it into something divine, the only way to accomplish that is through the physical mitzvah. Not so much through the studying of Torah, but more so through the physical mitzvah, the deed, the action. And that's why we say that the action is what matters most. So it's, it's both correct. And now he's going to explain, he's going to elaborate a little. What happens when the Jew studies Torah? What's accomplished when the Jew studies Torah? Okay, in the bottom of 509, this influence... This influence and illumination generated by one's Torah study, which man draws from the radiance of the unsolved light upon his soul and upon the souls of all Israel, meaning, as will be explained later, the light is drawn into the spiritual level known as the Shekinah, the nest that you throw out, the source of all the souls of Israel, and thereby the unsolved light reaches not only the soul of the person studying Torah, but also that of every Jew. This illumination which one draws through Torah study is referred to as calling, as in the Talmudic expression concerning a Torah student. So in other words, he's saying when you study Torah, it's not only that you're drawing light on your own soul. You're also drawing light on the entire collective Jewish soul. Because Jews are all connected. We're really one soul. It's not that there are 14 million Jews. There's one Jewish soul. It's divided into 14 million bodies but we're one soul. It's reflected. Unfortunately, it's also reflected in the negative. When one Jew does something wrong, it reflects in the entire Jewish people. When uh, Bolgoyevich... Nobody can pronounce it. No one can pronounce it. Okay, I'm not the only one. And the governor of Illinois, or the soon-to-be ex-governor of Illinois, what's his religion? Catholic. Catholic. Does anyone go and say, look at the Catholics? No one even mentions. He's one individual. <laughs> He's one individual, and no, one, no one's blaming the Catholics for what he's doing. Bernie Madoff. <laughs> look at the Jewish people. When one Jew does something wrong, it reflects on the entire Jewish world. And also in the positive. Look at the Holzbergs. Gabi and Rifki Holzberg, one Jewish couple. We never met them before, never even heard their names before. And look what happened to them, affected every Jew around the world, took it so personally, as if it happened to them. Because the Jews are one. We're genuinely one. We're one soul that's just divided into 14 million bodies. Externally, the bodies separate us, but the soul, we're really one. Look now, the Jewish people are one, are united. 90%, if not higher, of the Jewish people are solidly behind Israel today, except a few crackpots. But the overwhelming majority, 
is completely and solidly, doesn't, there's no right wing, there's no left wing, there's no middle wing, in Israel, outside of Israel, all across the board, are solidly behind what Israel is doing. There's a unity. So Jews are one. And you see, those who are upset with Israel are not just blaming Israel, they're blaming the Jewish people, anti-Semitism is written all over the world as a result. So it's all one, we're all one. So when a Jew studies Torah, you're not just bringing down light, the divine light to your own personal soul, individual soul. You are drawing down light to the collective Jews. So when you, the more spiritual you are, the more godly you are, the more mitzvot you do, you strengthen the entire Jewish people. You give strength. When a Jew puts on tefillin here in New York, you're giving strength to the soldiers there. When you overcome a test and a difficulty in your own personal life, and you strain yourself, you try to go beyond your limit and try to stretch a little, you give strength to the leaders in Israel also to stretch, to do the right thing, because we're all connected. What a powerful thought to live with, that it's not that I can sit here, but I can have such an impact positive when a woman lights a candle a Shabbos candle she's bringing light not only to herself she's lighting up the whole world she's lighting up the whole collective Jewish soul so you have the ability to strengthen the power of good is so much more powerful than the powerful than the power of negativity if negativity can affect us so deeply how much more so that the power of good could affect us so positively powerfully so every time when this Jew studies Torah and he's drawing down when you study Torah you're drawing down God's God's radiance, God's light, God's shechina. It's not only you're drawing it down to your soul, but to the whole, the soul of the collective of the whole Jewish people. And that's why it's called, it's referred to as calling. The rabbis refer to it as someone who's calling with the Torah. What do you mean calling? Whom are you calling? It doesn't say reading the Torah. Koirei means to call, like you're calling someone. So whom are you calling when you're studying Torah? This phrase means that in Torah study, one calls Hashem to come to him, so to speak. The man calls to his friend to come to him, or as a child will call his father to come and join him and not to part from him, leaving him alone, Hashem forbid. The former analogy pertains to those Jews designated as brethren and friends of Hashem. When they study Torah, they are called their friend. The latter analogy pertains to those designated children of Hashem. When they study Torah, they are calling their father. You have different levels within the Jewish people, different souls. You have those souls who are called God's friend, and there are those souls who are like children. But either way, whether it's like a child, whether it's like a friend, the child is calling his father, or the friend is calling his friend over. So when the rabbis refer to studying Torah as someone who's reading the Torah, they don't say the word reading, they say Torah, someone who's calling. Through the Torah, you're calling. Whom are you calling? You're calling Hashem. Because by studying Torah, you're calling Hashem Himself. It's like you're calling over your friend. So it's not just that you're drawing down the light. When you do a mitzvah, you're drawing down the light. Just like in, in your hand. The mitzvah are compared to 248 mitzvot corresponding to 248 organs. So the arm, the, the hand has a corresponding spiritual energy from the soul. The ability to move the hand, the ability to paint, to draw, to write. That's the soul's ability 
that perfectly matches the arm, and that's in the arm. That's the soul's energy that's in the arm. So every mitzvah has a divine energy that fits that, that, that mitzvah. But it's only like an organ. It's only like a part of God. But when you study Torah, it's like you're calling your friend. It's like you're calling, the child is calling his father. Whom is he calling to? He's not calling to the arm, the leg, to an aspect. He's calling to the whole. He's calling to his father. He's calling to his entire friend. It's like that uh, story with the Tzemach Tzedek. The Alter Rebbe raised his grandson. His daughter died young. She made him promise he's going to personally raise her, her son, her only child, who was later to be the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. And when he was a little child, he was sitting in his father's study and and this, he was sitting in his father's grandfather's lap, and his grandfather asked him, he was holding on to his, he says, where is Zaydi? So he grabbed his beard, he says, this, here's Zaydi. So the grandfather says, no, the Rebbe says, no, that's not Zaydi, it's Zaydi's beard, where is Zaydi? Points to his eyes. He says, no, that's not Zaydi, that's Zaydi's eyes. Points to his ears. That's not Zaydi, that's Zaydi's ears, his cheeks. It's not, where is Zaydi? So the child jumps off the lap, hides behind the door, and calls out, Zaydi. And now the Rebbe turned around and says, yes. And the child pointed, ah, there, that's Zaydi. <laughs> Who answered? It's not the beard, the nose, the ears. You. You answer. The beard, the nose, the eyes, the organs, that's just an expression of you. That's just a detail, but you. When I call you, I'm calling you. When a Jew studies Torah, we're calling God himself. When you do a mitzvah, you're only getting a detail, an aspect. A ray of God, an expression of God. But when you do, when you're studying Torah, you're calling God. You're calling God's essence, God Himself. That's unique to the studying of Torah. That's why the studying of Torah, there's nothing that can compare to the studying of Torah where every waking moment or every opportunity we have, if it's not a mitzvah that we must do ourselves because no one else can replace us, then we spend that time and that energy delving deeply and studying Torah with all our might, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our energy, strength. Because when you're studying Torah, you're calling God Himself. And not only calling God for yourself, your own personal individual soul, but drawing down God's essence for the collective Jewish soul, for the entire Jewish people. This is the meaning of the verse, God is near to all who call Him, to all who call Him in truth. And there is no truth but Torah indicating that one calls God with truth as opposed to simply calling God only by calling God through Torah study. In contrast to one who does not call him through Torah study, but merely cries, Father, Father. This refers to the service of prayer in which one calls God out of love for him, saying, Father, such a call is not considered calling with truth, and thus the illumination of godly light generated by this call cannot compare with that generated by Torah as explained above. Over him who thus calls God, the prophet laments, there is none who calls by your name as is written elsewhere. Since he does not say simply, there is none who calls you, his intention must be that although there are indeed those who call God, yet they do not do so by his name, meaning through Torah whose words throughout are the names of God. So he's saying something very profound. Because when a Jew, there's two types of calling out. When a Jew prays, he's also calling to Hashem. You refer to Hashem, Hashem, Elokeinu. You're asking Hashem to provide, to take care of you. He's also calling out to Hashem. So what's the difference between the calling out of Torah 
and they're calling out of prayer. Or in other words, why isn't prayer enough? A Jew can spend his whole life praying, meditating, going from one level of consciousness to even a higher level of consciousness to a higher level of consciousness. Why the importance of studying Torah? Why do we have to take a Talmud down in the mission and study the laws of, of agriculture and the laws of, of civil law? What? I can spend my whole day in a mystical rapture, immersed in, in meditating and praying and calling and talking to God. That's also a form of, of calling. And God also responds to our prayers. He answers our prayers. He heals the sick. He gives us a, a, a blessing. He blesses our, our, our work. He gives us success. So we are calling and God responds. What's the difference between prayer and the studying of Torah? And he says the difference is that there's no one calling by a name. You can call to God. Through prayer you call to God. But you're not calling Him by His name. When you study Torah, however, you're calling God by His name. Or as, the, as we brought down that the Talmud says, to call God with truth. You can call God through prayer. But how do you genuinely call God? What's the real calling? How do you truly call God with truth that's only through studying of Torah? Why? What does that mean? That's what the prophet says. Someone who cries out to God, but he doesn't study Torah. He says, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, but he doesn't, he doesn't study Torah. Why? What's the difference in calling to God without his name or with his name? On one hand, a name, what's more impressive? A name could be very superficial. If you call someone, you're a wise man. You're a kind person. Versus calling him by his name. Sarah. Shimon. Which is, which is more impressive? Which, is, which tells me more about the person? The name? Or when you're calling him wise one, intelligent one, kind one, merciful one. Which one is... Is more revealing about the person. What do you think? The name. Why the name? The name doesn't tell me anything about the person. Sarah. What's Sarah? I don't know. What's Sarah doesn't mean anything. You tell me you're a wise person. I know something about you. You're wise. You tell me you're kind and compassionate. I know something about you. It's too limiting. What? It's too limiting. What do you mean? You're just taking one aspect of that person. Whereas the name encompasses the whole thing. The whole thing. Oh. Very good. So you say, what? It touched the, 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 the spirit. Okay, very good. In other words, yes, it's true. Externally, when you say a person is compassionate and kind, you're describing the person. So I know something about his personality, about his character. But on the other hand, it's very superficial. It's one aspect of it. But when you call someone by his name, he responds. Who responds? The entire person responds. When you call someone by his name, he turns around. Just like the Alter Rebbe turned around. When this grandson called him Zaidi, he turned around. He says, where is Zaidi? There. Who turned around? Who said yes? It's the entire being, your whole being turned around. Not just the detail. So when you pray, you refer to God as the merciful one, as the compassionate one, as the intelligent one, and God responds, and he, he heals you. And he gives you success in your business and whatever you're asking and praying for, all your needs, all your personal, private needs, or collective needs. So yes, but it's not calling God by his name. When a Jew studies Torah, however, you're calling God by his name. That's the power of a name. You know the, the cocktail effect. You can be in a room with a thousand people and the room is blearing with music. And someone could be, you could be at one end of the room and someone calls you from the other end of the room and calls you by your name. You'll hear it. You'll be the only one in the room, but you'll hear it. The only one in the room to hear it. 
When a person faints, you know how you revive them? One of the ways of reviving them? Whisper their name in their ear. And they wake up. Because the name is so powerful. When a person lost consciousness, your soul is there, but not on a conscious level. So you have to reach the soul. When you say a name, it reaches the soul. So a name, on one hand, is very external, very superficial. But a name is also a handle. When you say the name, you grab the whole person. It's like a handle of a vessel. When you grab the handle, you grab the whole vessel. When you say a name, you, 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 you touch the whole person, you touch the soul. That's why you're able to revive them, just by saying their name. Like they wake up, they hear. When you address them, when you speak to them, they hear, the soul hears, and the soul wakes up, and the soul revives. The soul faints. That's the power of a name. So the Torah, as Nachmanri says, based on the Zohar, the Torah is referred to as the names of Hashem. So that means when a Jew studies Torah, you're calling God Himself. You're calling the truth. You're calling God in His entirety. God's whole essence is, turns to you and is revealed to you, to your personal collective soul and to the individual soul as well as your, the collective Jewish soul. So that's the power of studying Torah, the superiority of studying Torah, even over doing a mitzvah, and all the mitzvah. By dwelling on this matter, the intelligent person will derive means of drawing upon himself a great awe of God when he engages in Torah study, as explained above. So he means to say that even though what he's describing here is far superior than what he described there, back there in chapter 23, because here he's explaining when the Jew studies Torah, you're calling the very essence of God himself. God himself is being called. And you're touching God where there is no other reality but God, where we're not even a body to God's soul. All there is is God. There is nothing else but God. And you become part of that unity. You become part of that truth. And not only your godly soul, but even your animal soul, your intellectual soul. So this is, so what he's describing here, what's accomplished with studying Torah is far superior than what he described earlier in chapter 23. So why is he referring us back to chapter 23? So the Rebbe explains, he's just referring to us because over there he explained how when a Jew studies Torah, it has to be permeated with a sense of awe. Torah has to lead you to the greatest, ultimate level of the fear of God. The ultimate purpose of studying Torah is that it should lead you by its avena, like he brings over there, as he elaborates over there. It says in the Torah, God commanded us and gave us the Torah because through studying Torah we achieve the ultimate level which is the fear of God, the ultimate fear of God that we described earlier, the third level, the highest level, where not only are you, you sense that God is in power and God is in control, not only that you become unselfconscious and egoless and you become like a body to God, but, you, but the ultimate level of fear and awe is when you realize there's nothing other than God. We're not even like a body. All there is is God. And when you become part of that reality through studying Torah, so the studying of your Torah has to be permeated with the goal and the theme that you're trying to achieve the ultimate level of fear, of awe, of God. Even though you may think that it may distract you from studying Torah, because when you're studying Torah, you have to mind, you have to be in a good mood, you have to be expansive, and here you're thinking about the fear of God, the awe of God, I don't exist, all there is is God, there's nothing, there's nothing other than God. It seems to be a contradiction to, um, to, be, to successfully studying Torah. But as he explained, that's why he's referring back to chapter 23, that nevertheless, it's very important 
for the studying of Torah, which engages your mind, engages your, yourself. You have to have a sense of self to be able to understand and to appreciate and to truly understand what you're learning. But nevertheless, your studying of Torah has to be permeated with a sense, an underlying sense of the awe and the presence of God and the realization of what you're accomplishing through studying Torah, how intimate you're becoming to God by studying Torah, and how in awe you are of, of what's going on while you're studying Torah. And every once in a while, he says, you should stop and think for a moment what you're accomplishing through studying Torah, and, and that really you're becoming so close to God, and you're like in awe of Hashem. So that's why he's referring back to chapter 23. Look, okay. yeah. Awe of God is another way of saying fear of God. Yeah, but you know, the English language is a very poor, truth is, it's all languages, it's very hard to describe what the Torah is describing, because when we say fear, we think of fear that the lightning is going to strike and God is going to hit us and beat us up. So that's why awe is a little closer to it. Awe, a sense of awe, in the presence of greatness, in the presence of the reality of God. There's no room for ego, for arrogance, for, for, for self. For All there is is the, the divine. You become completely one and intimate and permeated with the reality and the truth and the awesomeness of the truth that there is no other reality but God. We're not even like a body the God saw. There is nothing else. All there is is God. And that's what the Torah represents. When you're studying Torah, your mind becomes part of that reality. Your animal soul becomes, your ego becomes part of that truth. That there is no ego. There is nothing else but God. And that awesome concept, that awesome awareness you know, is enough to give you a sense, inject within you a sense of awe of what's, what you're about, what you're experiencing, what's really going on. Whether you can feel it or not, whether you fully appreciate it or not. But this is what's really going on every time we study Torah. We draw down God's essence. We call God and God responds. And not only our soul becomes one with God, but even the collective Jewish soul also becomes one with God. There it is stated that one's Torah study must be permeated with all of Hashem, despite the apparent incompatibility between the intellectual boldness that characterizes study and the constraint engendered by all. This all, moreover, is the goal of Torah study, while study is merely the gateway. The thought that in Torah study one calls Hashem to himself, just as, for example, one calls his friend to come to him, will surely arouse in the student a feeling of intense awe of Hashem. Okay, um, so with your permission, I have to run to fulfill that mitzvah. <laughs>